listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. There are many roadmaps to awakening. And one of the most simple and elegant that I've ever heard described was from the founder of the Soto Zen lineage. His name is Ehe Dogen, Dogen Zenji, as he's affectionately referred to. Uh, had this great little line. So I'll, I'll paraphrase. My Japanese is a little rusty, but uh, he basically said... Uh, all of Buddhism or this path towards awakening is basically the study of the self. And when we really, really study the self, we forget the self. And when we forget the self, really, when we really kind of forget the self, we are enlightened or awakened by all things. When we study the self, we forget the self, and when we forget the self, we are enlightened by all things. And this is what leads us to a conscious life. What's the first step? The first step is studying yourself. Fearlessly facing your life. Taking care of your life by really, really looking at it. And this means we don't avoid anything. And if we can get to that place of non-avoidance, we then get to study everything that hooks us, everything that catches us. We become very, very aware of all these things that just kind of grab us, pull us off center this way, pull us off center this way, so that we tilt then from our center point, okay, we get off center. Now, we will eventually right ourselves, but oftentimes there's been an erosion when we are knocked around too much. Instead of getting knocked around, we look to stabilize ourselves, and in that stabilization process, we tend to grasp. And the grasping always puts us into a situation where instead of studying the self, the grasping actually takes us away from that work. It veils what's true from our sight. So, in studying the self, the first thing we really try to do is recognize our own unconsciousness. Recognize that in us which is feeling separate. That in us which perceives this separate self-sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but that in us which feels like I'm in here and everything else is out there. Okay? Once we can really, really, really look at that and continually kind of go, oh, that's from the separate or small self. Oh, that's from the small self. Oh, that's from the, when we are in that space. What happens is 
we begin to undo the hooks. Every time we can recognize, in other words, a hook dispassionately, when we, when we don't give it any gas by saying, I hate that hook, or man, that's cool, either one of those, we don't tilt. We just face the hook, recognize it, the minute it's recognized, with the light of that kind of studied awareness, the hook dissolves. It might take a while. Some of the hooks are pretty big. Really. I mean, some of them are pretty big. It takes a tremendous amount of presence to actually kind of uh, uh, melt them away. But they will melt away if we study them. Perhaps the biggest hook of all, and this is where Dogen, I think, really nails it, is the sense that we're separate. The belief that there is an I and there is a you and there, or there is an it. That there's this real, real powerful, powerful sense that, once again, I'm here, everything else is out there. That hook, when it is studied continually again and again and again, when that gives way, all sorts of miracles begin to show up. And when I say miracle, I don't mean that you will be able to walk on your pool. <laughs> miracle, in this sense, is that there is this shedding of what it is that we pr just we don't need. We just let the stuff go. We let it, it falls off. And what's left is what is true and pure. What is radiant, what is beautiful, what is radically honest about us. That's what's left. The gold underneath the personality that our past has helped to build. That begins to shine. So we go then from this, this space of unconsciousness, the belief that I am separate from all things. And by the way, when we are in that space, we are always trying to grasp things that will protect us because if we're separate, we're automatically threatened by stuff. And so what we try to do is we, we, we grasp onto things in our psyches that we believe will help protect us. Perhaps it's physical. Perhaps we work out so much that we develop all this physical armor. Or we dress so perfectly that we, what, what we attract what we what we present to the world actually keeps people away from what's true and real this isn't to say that people who go shopping are totally unconscious i'm not saying that i think you can be very conscious and go shopping but if the shopping hooks you or the working out hooks you or the zen meditation hooks you or the eating hooks you Whatever hooks you keeps that which is radiant from, from shining. 
So from this grasp, what ends up happening is we develop a very, very strong sense of fear. Because we recognize whatever we grasp is only a temporary uh, defense against the onslaught of infinity. Whatever we grasp, whatever type of decor we add to the mask, whatever type of layering we add to uh, this small self, whatever number of bricks we might add to the bunker that we're hiding behind, it's not enough. The universe always wins. Always, always, always wins. And that fear uh, ends up wiping us out. It ends up pushing us back into what is unconscious. We may think we're studying ourselves, but in fact what we're, what we're doing is just beginning to avoid that which is real. This work is about non-avoidance. And it can get so, so scary for people who are not practiced, which is why we sit. We start with the small stuff. We start not avoiding whatever is coming up as we sit here. We know that the bell's going to ring. We know that there is a finite amount of time when we really have to keep the microscope on our experience, and then we can kind of go back, but we recognize that our habits start to change. And so if we feel kind of a shift as we begin to, to do this, and the more fearlessly we keep going back, keep going back, keep going back into that stillness, the more it gets peeled away. And the more that gets peeled away, the more that get, gets peeled away, the more we forget the self. The more irrelevant that particular behavior becomes. And the more we let go, the more practice we become at letting go, the less we get caught. The less we get caught, the less we grasp, the less fear there is, the less pain there is. So we go from this place of separation, slowly but surely, as we study our separation, we begin to see its irrelevance. We forget it. And in that space, we awaken to all things. We recognize unification instead of separation. And then you're precisely halfway there. Because then you have to come back. You go up the mountain to unification, and then you come back down to integration, where you integrate all that was small in us, all that was bound, contracted, and so forth, and we infuse it with what we now know to be true. I was reading this article that made me smile. Uh, this particular, <coughs> particular teacher was talking about how all pain is an illusion. Of course, this is true from the awakened perspective. This is absolutely 100% true. However, you know, you can intellectualize that all you want. 
we still feel pain, right? The, the work then is not to get rid of our pain, but to radically change the relationship we have with it when we study our pain. And in this case, I'm talking about not only physical, but also emotional. A great place to study physical pain, actually, is right on our cushion or on our chair. When we sit for long periods of time, man, our body just lets us know, hey, enough. Being right there with it can be an, a tremendous source of, of uh, depth for our practice. Emotional pain tends to come from uh, a mind that judges. As opposed to discriminating, a discriminating awareness that we talk about in here is where you say, red. That is, that is a red shirt. Okay. Oh, that is a memory. That's a plan. Oh, that's a fear. There's not an intense value judgment going into discrimination like that, is there? That's just the ability to recognize. That's, in other words, studying. That's studying the self-system as it goes through um, an awareness. Judging, on the other hand, would be, that's red. I hate red. Red, red, you know, people that wear red are kind of freaky, right? You just added all this stuff to it. That's a memory. Man, that was, that sucked. That part of my life really was awful. You understand? We throw on an extra, we hook it with something, right? Or that's a plan. I've got to remember to call or to uh, take care of or to, because if that doesn't happen, then by golly, I know such and such. Will, and the next thing you know, you, we're off in a whole, we're, we're not in the now, we're in the future. That kind of judgment invariably seeds suffering. It seeds pain. Negativity comes from that. And negativity, as it meets the body, shows up in uh, emotional pain. Now, we can get out of that trap by studying that. By studying that entire process, watching it unfold, as watching it as it unfolds, the impulse itself. And as we become present for that whole thing, we then have a choice. Do we carry it as baggage or not? Do we grasp it or not? Do we fear it or not? And from this place, once again, we become enlightened by all things. Even if it's difficult, the difficulty itself has the seeds to awakening within. Within every difficult situation, there's the potential for freedom. I want to read to you something from a, uh, a forthcoming book that should be on the shelves within the uh, uh, next six months or so. Um, 
this particular uh, couple paragraphs that I'm going to read is called Forgetting the Subject. It's when we begin to face our lives totally and continually without flinching, we have the opportunity to awaken from unconsciousness into an enlightened awareness. This enlightened, impersonal awareness arises spontaneously as we begin to study everything that is personal, our motives, our desires, our memories, our dreams, and our resistances as expressed on what we've referred to as the stage of mind. As we practice, all of these personal things are brought under an intense scrutiny as the stillness brought about by meditation gets integrated into our lives. A profound awareness shows up as we get accustomed to viewing all circumstances as a member of the audience in this theater of mind. We watch everything, in other words, that's going on on this stage. Every bit of pain that we feel is simply grasping. It's intensity that's labeled as get the hell away from this. And that energy, trying to get away from it, then shows up in what we call pain. Studying that allows us to take energy away from it. And when energy falls from that, it's no longer pain, it's just intensity. Our relationship to the pain has changed so fundamentally that suffering ends. Simply recognizing, however, that past baggage and future desires um, I totally misread that sentence, even though it's my own prose. Excuse me. <laughs> but simply recognizing past baggage and future desires does not mean that a person is enlightened. That's what I meant to say. Seeing one's past and future creates a space for an open awareness to reveal itself, but recognizing this isn't the end of the journey, but rather the beginning the study of all things personal, however, inevitably brings up questions surrounding the very source of all things personal. In other words, the study of things personal allows us to study the sense that we have a self that is separate from all other things. Once we start carefully looking at all the reasons relating to how and why this self of ours handles all the things that come to it in its day-to-day -day circumstance, then we are on the path. Once there is a deep commitment to walking this path, the small self unwittingly begins to enter into an awareness that goes right past it and yet also brings it along. This is a very natural process that each of us does as we mature through the developmental stages of life. We go past our childhood, for example, yet bring it along as we grow up. And this is what we're doing as we sit. As we sit in this process with each other, what we're doing is we're simultaneously letting go of the small self yet bringing everything that it has to offer us along on the journey, no matter where we end up. It is forgotten, but not denied. It's still there. We study it. It then becomes somewhat irrelevant. And then suddenly we are awakened by all things. 
and we still have our old tool set if we need to use it. And so from here, we can really radically change. We can transform. Instead of getting a better understanding of our spiritual life, the spiritual life itself transforms us into an expression, a conscious expression of spirit itself. And this enhances our Christianity. It enhances our Judaism. It enhances our Hinduism, our Buddhism, and anyone that I have forgotten to name. So we study, we forget, we let go, in other words, and we ascend. And that's how we take very, very good care of this very life. It's hard to put into words what I want to ask you, Michael, but I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> um, it all has to do with what we think. Because that's where it all starts. When you say, is, is it correct that when you say you should study or you should observe, you're talking about our studying and or observing our thoughts, right? And feelings. And feelings. Now, since personally I, I come here because I want to see how many tools I can get when I go back out there, uh, on that subject, um, I'm going to explain to you what I'm, what I'm going through right now and then see if I, I need some extra tools. Um, we live in a condominium complex, and we, at this point we have a neighbor who has um, disrupted the community and, uh, in, and behaved in a very difficult way. The neighbor I'm talking about lives right across from where we live. Mm -hmm. And getting back to this, thoughts and the studying and the observing, I really struggle daily to do what, what you were talking about, to say, um, if you're not angry, if you just let things be what they are, if you do not judge the neighbor, if you simply let the neighbor behave or say what the neighbor once, if you don't editorialize or build a story um, that by the end of the day has you furious, then you won't suffer. But it's easier said than done because that neighbor is there all the time. The neighbor had, has caused a lot of um, um, discomfort and and pain to the rest of, of us. 
but I still want to to learn how to use that situation to be able to do what you say and to at least try to get on the path. Seems to me I do try, but I fail all the time because I still get furious. I still cannot not be hooked by the presence of this neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, so and it sounds like there's lots to let go of. Yes. And she keeps show. I'm, I'm assuming it's a she. So forgive if yes. it's a he. Okay, um, because I think I remember this this story before. Uh, she is continually pointing out your grasping. And in that way, she gives you a gift every day. She continually shows you what still needs to be forgotten. Let go. Dropped. Let go of. Yes. And that's why she's your greatest teacher right now, it sounds like. Whenever someone gets you into that space, be very glad. Be very glad whenever someone puts you in a space of a total rage because they have just pointed out where you're clinging. Perhaps you're clinging to peace. And if you're clinging to peace, you're clinging to something that you perceive is outside of what you already have within. That's, illu that's delusion. So she keeps pointing right at your delusion. Ego doesn't want to face it, so what does it do? It creates a story, gets angry, and stays angry all the way until cocktail hour. And then it only stops being angry for a while, right? And it comes back, and it just keeps surging like a bigger and bigger wave. Sometimes it goes away for a little while, but then it comes back, you know, because there's a tremendous amount of psychological fuel it's like trying to put out a fire with gas. You know, you just can't. So her gift to you and to any of us, whenever we're in situations like this, is whenever someone really just gets right under our skin, they <laughs> are pointing to that in us, which is absolutely asleep, avoiding that in us, which is small and contracted that in us which is not awake. Easier said than done. For an ego, sure. And it all has to do with what I think. Well, which is ego. What you think is ego. Because there's a you thinking, right? But I can also think in a way, in a, in a way that I can also, my thinking can be an observer's thinking. Or a studying. Yes. There's an, in other words, what you, it sounds like what you're kind of describing is you can actually engage the world from a big self or engage the world from a small self position. The small self is always ready to box. The big self is watching the boxing happen. 
and has no real opinion and therefore comes from this this impersonal spacious place that can allow that to just kind of happen and not get engaged by it and that big self sees itself through your eyes and hers as well but it still has to do with how I, with what i think sure and it all, as long as it does have to do with what you think it will always be a struggle because what we're talking about here is mind right and what does the mind do it, it thinks and experiences judges compartmentalizes attaches shoves away right that's what the mind does so everything that you think about okay comes from that space as soon as it opens the mind opens to uh, an enlightened awareness it's as if a sand goes a grain of sand goes into an oyster so even if the mind closes again what gets built in that in that mind a pearl okay it's been there since before the big bang but your work now is to instead of trap it by trying to think through this open the experience so that the pearl reveals itself that pearl will be able to see itself in that other woman okay this does not mean that you go over to her tonight and hug her sing kumbaya okay that's not what this is about your next meeting with her might have some very very powerful and fiery words however if those fiery words come from contraction they're not helpful they increase unconsciousness if however they come from a place that is totally open and unattached and unhooked they have a tendency to awaken not only you but the entire situation and everybody involved so this is an incredible place of practice it's not that you go into this mindlessly not thinking it's that what happens is you get orient your thoughts from the spaciousness that's between each of them so that so the space that's between each thought if you look at a thought like a cloud let all of those clouds be fully influenced by the sky that holds them so i guess what i'm trying to say is has to do with the quality of my thinking sure okay all right but you can still be totally egoic and have high quality thoughts okay okay it's not about this thinking as much as it is about this heart and letting that heart meet the situation then you're coming from a place that's beyond mind you're coming from a place that's far more universal as opposed to uh, universal and impersonal as opposed to personal and identifiable with the small self please report back to us on that thank you mike <laughs> this is actually a question i've been kind of wondering about especially cuz uh of my yoga practice yeah. where uh, you start experiencing a lot of pain because you're opening up a lot. <laughs> and um, one of the teachings that they tell you in, in Vipassana, and I'm sure in Zen, is 
is that when you're experiencing pain, just feel through the pain and, you know, to actually get to, to know the pain itself rather than resisting the pain, which is, but when you have painful experiences, uh, whether they're physical or mental, um, some of the reactions you might have are defenses or um, it's for your benefit. I mean, for example, if you're experiencing pain in some ways, so like a physical pain, sometimes it means it's because you need to back off or because um, or you've done something wrong. But like, how how do you separate the two knowing that it's, I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I mean, because when you're actually experiencing something, you, you know a difference. I don't know if this is making any sense. Keep going because I, mean, I, I really want you to, I want you to get real clear on what yeah. your question is, but I think I know where you're going and it's, it's a profound question. Yeah. Not to put added pressure on you, but it's, it's just, it's something I've been, I've been questioning because I'm like, wow, this is, do I don't I understand. What? How do you know to actually just go through the experience as opposed to backing off? Always go through the experience and but back off whenever you need to. Right? But, but at the <laughs> Backing off, you better go through that experience of backing off. Okay? It's not about creating pain and then gutting it out. That's ego. That's an attachment to the pain itself, right? Not wanting to feel any pain. Okay, that's wimping out. That's not wanting to feel the experience at all. Mm -hmm. The middle way means that you take your physical practice, in this case yoga, which I think is, does wonders to actually help create a space for us to hit the, go from separation to unification and come back into integration. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what the yoga practice can do for you is help the body recognize itself, its limits, its freedom, all of that stuff, so that you are n no longer pushing yourself so hard that there is something that's in control, okay? Mm -hmm. That, the, that the, uh, the manager inside, the ego inside is saying, damn it, I'm going right through this sucker, okay? Mm -hmm. that, that can be an attachment. Sometimes it's good to have that little fire, a little, you know, a little bit of white hot right in, into the experience. Sometimes that's really good. But practice helps us recognize when we're lying. And by lying, I mean it's a non-truth to just muscle through everything, to go through life like a bullet. That's not true. That doesn't allow vulnerability, okay? It's also a non-truth to just be totally and absolutely at the at the uh, the whim of every experience where you get pushed around without any type of any type of backbone. The sword has two qualities to it. It's got the stiffness of the blade that's been tempered through practice, and it's also got a handle that's malleable so it can actually be held. So if your yoga practice helps to create a sword out of you with flexibility and at the same time stiffness, all at once we have a bodhisattva that can't be possessed 
It just is. It arises spontaneously. So use your life as a laboratory where you can test your limits fearlessly um, and back off when you need to. Push a little harder when you need to. There's space for both in this life. That's, that's how we care for this life. That's studying the self. And what happens when you study the self? You forget the self. Yeah. The self lets go. And when the self lets go, or that in you which is truly profound lets go of the self, what's left, what is truly profound. And then your choices become infinite, not limited. And that's precisely when you go get a Slurpee. <laughs> cherry. <laughs>